Welcome to Lost in Translations. I'm your host, Michael, and I'm joined with Lauren from EndNotes on Instagram, and we are talking about Ethereal Worlds, a collection of short stories by Tatiana Tolstoya, and this is translated from the Russian by Anya Magdal, and my edition comes from Alfred Aikenup. Well, thanks for having me on Lost in Translations. Um, my name is Lauren Weinhold, and I live in the U.S., and I really enjoy reading translations, much like you. I also get into a lot of different nonfiction, poetry, some comics and graphic novels. We met through Instagram, and that tends to be the main place that people can find me online. I write several book reviews on there and on Goodreads, and just really into talking books, and that's actually something that brought us together. So thanks for having me on your podcast. Yeah, thanks for being a part of it. I'm glad someone decided to go, hey, I want to be part. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, why Bookstagram or Instagram? What do you prefer to call it? I think what I like about it the most is the visual medium. I, I, I've i always been into photography too. So I like being able to show the book and like the book, the book culture and show various things around the book. I really like the stories feature and how you can show, you know, sometimes short movies or have related content that you might have a post that relates to it. But then you have the stories that relate to other little tangential things that you may have read or just other things going on in your life. I think it's a great connection tool. I've met some really great people on there and, and you know, some quality conversations that have come out of it too. Like you and I, we have lots of quality conversations about literature, about music. <laughs> so I think, I think it's a good idea to just, you can dig in a little bit better on Instagram, both through, you know, commenting as well as direct messaging and through the, the visual medium. Yeah, it is quite good for the visual medium. I'm not very good at photography, which makes it difficult. <laughs> well, I think it's all qualitative. It's like what you're into, you know, because some yeah. people, they really get into like the, the photography of it. And then others are more just about the content and you can craft, you know, a post that has information or you can lead it to somewhere else. Like if you have like your blog or a Goodreads account or something like that, where you might want to discuss and review a little bit further. Yeah. I, so I do people. find it weird that you can't link to a post, but there are ways around that. <laughs> I agree. I hope that's something that they change in the future. Yeah. It's really frustrating not being able to have a URL that leads to somewhere else other than in your profile. Yeah, and it's only one, so you have one chance to direct someone. Agree. <laughs> I discovered you through Reading Envy, and she does, uh, I think it's called Linktree, which just links to a page that points you to onwards to different posts. Yeah, it's like a little extra bio thing that you can... Um, you can link to your blog if you're if you have a booktube or you know if you've written an article somewhere or something like that. I've seen it used a few times, but I haven't tried it myself. No, I think it's pretty cool to be able to have that feature. Yeah, because with uh, Jenny, she links to her latest episode and Goodreads and all a few other places, which is pretty cool to be able to do. Good idea. Maybe we should both try it. <laughs> Maybe, but. I, I like having a 
URL that stands out. Like on my Instagram, it goes to Knowledge Loss, which is my blog, mm-hmm. and yeah. Lost in Translations goes to the podcast page. Not so much a standout page because it's not a custom URL, but I kind of like that. But maybe it's probably better to be able to link to multiple places. Maybe. Yeah, I think it's just all what you're into or like how much you're putting out there, you know. And I just have people linking directly to my Goodreads account because I've been reviewing books over there for 10 and a half years. So that's kind of the place that I have the most stuff. But before Goodreads, I did, you know, I did plenty of things on, um, on Flickr. I used to have a blog too, but that's kind of extinct now it's still out there but i don't even want to say what it is because it's uh it's old (laughs) (laughs) i've I've thought about starting another one but in the meantime i just i love putting the energy into goodreads and into instagram and obviously into my books my reading (laughs) yeah well i like my blog because i have a record of all the books that i've read and written Mm -hmm. reviews on like if goodreads ever disappears i've still got that yeah, no kidding. The, thought, the thoughts occurred to me before. I'm like, if this goes away, I've got hundreds of reviews on here that I probably need to get off there and save somewhere else. Yeah. Um, well, that's the other problem. Do I want to be supporting Amazon? I know. We're always supporting someone, aren't we? It's like Google, Amazon, or Apple. You got to choose your poison there. Facebook. <laughs> or, well, or Facebook or Microsoft to a lesser extent. But yeah, you're yeah. right. <sighs> I do have all my uh, books read on Goodreads, but I keep a spreadsheet as well because I guess I'm worried about losing that data. And because I came so late to reading, I have a record of every book I've read. I love that. Yeah. Because there's, I've been into reading for decades and I don't have a, a record of everything. And I just think it's really cool that you kind of had this blank slate to be able to start that way. Yeah, that's it's definitely helpful. Not so much when you think I had 30 years I could have been reading. I could have been better read. Hashtag no regrets. <laughs> <laughs> you're doing it now and you're definitely yeah. catching up for a lot of lost time because you went right to the good stuff. Well, it did take me a little bit, but yeah, I did start with the thousand and one books you must read before you die list as my starting point. So it helped me find what I liked really quickly. That's fine. That's good. <laughs> and then you like translations. So Yes. And that that's pretty much how we became friends. I followed you because you talked a lot about translations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the fact that you did too drew me to you. And then I think we had all these great side conversations and realized how much we had in common and a lot of books that we um both wanted to read. So that led us yeah. to our discussion today. Yes. What what got you into translations? I think the main thing was, you know, as a as a native English speaker, I really was curious about getting outside of that lens of, of English. Now I know that that still means that we're getting the translation into English because we're not reading it in the native language, but the different structure of sentences, the different ways that things are posed were very unique and and uh, you know the some of the early translations I read I was just I was blown away by how it made me think in a completely different way and I can't even imagine even more so if it was written in that you know if I was reading it in the language it was written in even more so but a lot of times the English translator the person who's translating the book into English is also 
either a native speaker or, you know, related or has studied a lot of time, uh, spent a lot of time studying that language. So they get the nuances, they get the culture, and, you know, a good translator is able to put that into the text, which I really appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely an art form. So much respect for translators. Yeah, I kind of like reading some of the older classics where there's multiple translators and you get to see the different ways different people translate. That's something that I'd be curious. I haven't really been able to uh, explore that much on my own. I've read several more modern translations, but someone was talking about that recently with a um, Dostoevsky novel. They read like five or six different translations and were just completely surprised by how different they were. And yeah. uh, that's a lot of commitment to read five or six different, you know, notes from the underground or crime and punishment or something like that. It's very different methods of it. There's a famous couple that do Russian translations. I won't mention their names. One of them's a native Russian speaker. So she translates it word for word and then her husband just cleans up the text. Hmm. And it- Seems like a really weird way to translate, but they seem to be doing well with that method. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, the, the modern translators, if the if the person is still alive who they're translating their text, you know, you'll often hear about some sort of relationship that's formed and they'll consult each other sometimes about, you know, different things that have come up. Um, I read I read a book earlier this year. It was actually a book of poetry and it was translated from the Portuguese and at the at the end, you know, in the author's notes and the translator's notes, they were talking about how they sat together and like had dinner and drank this bottle of wine on the patio at her house or something like that. And they were discussing the book and how to put it all together. And it just was like this very romantic scene of them talking, being able to structure this book for, you know, a multilingual audience. So that, I don't know, I really liked that image of, of them having that close relationship to be able to share the words with, you know, a completely different part of the world. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's kind of how I got into translations. Yeah, one day I hope to be able to read something in its original language, but I've yet to learn anything. Yeah, I feel like I I might be able to read a primary text of something like, you know, the equivalent of of Watch the Dog Run Across the Road or something like that. (laughs) some like primary you know children's text i might be able to read that in a native language at some point someday yeah well i would love to be able to read russian but i'd also love to be able to read french but russian's hard yeah. with the different alphabet but hey shoot for the stars right you gotta you gotta try <laughs> who knows <laughs> I, I don't know i think i want to do too much and i need to stop trying to <laughs> Come up with new plans and new projects. Exactly. Well, and both of us have very, very full bookshelves that we're always itching to read and dig into. So when are we going to learn all these new languages when we have all these books to read? Well, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing that there are people that can do this. And it's just really nice that, that you and I can, be able to explore that and, you know, the other people that you've had on the podcast too are just excited about translations. And, you know, this really does seem to be an interesting time for translations too. There's more and more that's being translated. Publishing companies are slowly, slowly starting to get on the bandwagon and you're seeing a little bit more diversity of languages and of, of 
you know, people who are represented too, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, well, it's definitely the small press that have really led the way. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of small presses and independent, you know, people who have been doing this for years. But, you know, you you start to see these international prizes and translation award long lists that are or translations on long lists that are coming out. And that's pretty exciting. Well, it's good to see so many translation prizes as well. Yeah, exactly. I think I've tried to read the long list of too many translation prizes this year, but well, you've done I a think pretty that it. <laughs> I, I did. I did get through a few of them, and I think it does help to be in the know of what's been translated and what's been released lately. Mm-hmm. Well, I read pretty widely too on like other subjects as well that I'm equally as passionate about. So hard for me to keep up with all of the lists, but I do try to but, read little translations a month. Yeah, well, that's always a good thing, I guess. I found a niche and I kind of buried myself in that hole. (laughs) Well, that's what's fascinating. It's good. It's like it makes you, you know, a bit of an expert on on all of these things and and learning more and more. It's it's exciting. I've got a long way to go before I can be an expert. Well, you're you're in the know. Yeah, I want to get to that point where they release a translation long list for a prize and I actually know most of them and be able to comment on those books. That would be awesome. But isn't it fun when you actually get a list and you realize there's one you didn't even know about and it's like it's like Christmas morning. It's like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know that was around or and you get excited and then you're like, well, that's going to be the one I order or, or try to find. <laughs> Yeah, well, when you agreed to be on the podcast, you did give me uh, two suggestions and they weren't easily available here, but the one we went with with Ethereal Worlds ended up on a long list that just made the choice for us. (laughs) Yeah, and I I know it was one that that was a little harder for you to get and hopefully you felt like it was worth it once you got it. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Uh, So we will be talking about Ethereal Worlds by Tatiana Dostoya. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget who translated it. I better look that up. Um, Should have been prepared. Uh, her name is Anya Migdal. Oh, yeah, Anya Migdal. I don't know much about Anya Migdal, but thankfully either. she translated this one. <laughs> <laughs> We're very grateful for that. Teddy Anna Tolstoy is related to Leo Tolstoy and a lot of other well-known people. Which is pretty fascinating. Yeah, I was I was reading through the Tolstoy family and it's been a big part of Russian history, it looks like. Exactly, spanning, you know, decades and decades of time. And I, I what's exciting about her and obviously her, you know, her lineage of, of great of great writers, of great literature, but she's kind of from what the little bit of research I've done on her, she has broken out into like other mediums as well. She's she's written a number of books and, and I think five or six of them, maybe even seven, have been um, translated into English. And she's also a television critic. She had a she had a TV show in Moscow for several years, like a culture kind of talk show host. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty cool. So, you know, she's taking it to, you know, a different medium, but still kind of storytelling and various things like that, but just on TV. Yeah, one of the novels she's released, I think it's a New York Review of Books classic, is The Slings, which looks like an awesome book to read and definitely one I want to pick up sooner rather than later yeah she has another one that looks really good too like a book of essays about russia and russians called pushkin's children have you seen that one yeah pushkin's children writings on russia and russians 
Yeah, that looks really yeah, good. Yeah, that, that would be really good. That was translated, I believe. It was, yeah. Yeah, um, so it is available in English somewhere. He's got a few others too. At least, I think at least at least five. And, and, then, yeah. and then one's a six that are available in English. Yeah, uh, the other one, White Walls, is another collection of short stories. So I have a question for you. After yep. reading the book, you know, over and over, I kind of wondered, it, it says ethereal worlds stories but there were a lot of things in here that i actually would have more qualified as essays something maybe they were definitely very autobiographical yeah which seems to be kind of a a cultural trend right now you know like autofiction kind of idea there's this very gray line between autobiography and then like slightly fictionalized details, but you don't know where that stops and where the other one begins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I kind of felt like a lot of these stories were, I've got this idea, I just need to write something to get it out of my head. Hmm. I wondered that too. And after after revisiting, you, you know, because I read this book originally back in August of this year, and then you got a hold of it and I wanted to reread it again with you so that we could discuss it or at least reread some of the highlight stories that we were going to talk about today. And it struck me again that, you know, she uses first person for several of the stories, first person, uh, you know, narrative. So it really feels like she's just talking to you about her life, but I don't know if that's true, if this is really her or if this is somebody she's, she's just using that first person narrative for multiple people or multiple characters. Yeah. But I kind or, of like that, yeah. You know? you, I think I there was some yeah. There's definitely some there that you think definitely are her, like the first one, mm-hmm. 2020, which was about getting eye surgery and then discovering her ability to write fiction. Yeah, yeah. I, I think really, that was definitely her. Since that's the first story of the collection, too. It's um, I, I liked it because it kind of hooks you right from the beginning about you know she she gets this eye surgery she has to be in some sort of darkened room for long weeks like uh, maybe even a few months without yeah. without being able to read or anything like that so she just kind of creates this incredible imagination world where she's mixing a lot of her own memories and like music she's listening to and various other things because she's not seeing the written words so she creates this this world inside of her head Kind of sets up the whole collection as this is pretty much what I've been seeing in my head. Here's a collection of stories that came from that kind of thing. Yeah, it it seems like a very purposeful choice to put that as the first story. Yeah, yeah. It almost serves as an introduction to the whole collection. Which even begs the question again, though, is this real? Like, did that really happen to her? Or is that just something? framing piece that she just came up with and was like you know what would be cool let's pretend like i had eye surgery and i couldn't see you know for for three months or something like that that's true yeah i I like that she left it out there but you're kind of wondering the whole time if this is real or if this is well yeah yeah, it it does seem more realistic definitely Um, although i can't can't imagine someone spending so much time thinking about aspect <laughs> you said you wanted to talk about that one in great detail. No, I don't want to talk about it. It's just meat jelly. I don't think it's not really. A, I don't think I've ever tried it. Uh, I don't think I'll ever be trying that. The thing that was funny about about that story, uh, you know, she goes into detail about how this this dish is prepared and like the culture around it, and then it ends with just her like sitting on the balcony smoking cigarettes and crying. 
<laughs> it was like, well, that had nothing to do with this like meat gelatin stuff you were talking about. But I don't um, know. That kind of yeah. feels like my type of reaction to the descriptions <laughs> of this food. You're right. You're like, this is so disgusting. I'm going to go sit and cry on my patio. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that I, that was an interesting choice, like bringing in that story. But at the same time, I thought, it, you know, it kind of gets to that whole Russian soul thing. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that one was interesting. Uh, I think you and I both really enjoyed Smoke and Shadows. Yeah, that's definitely my favorite. That's the one that made me go, I need to read long form fiction from her. Yeah, uh, it, it was so... That story was, it was my standout as well. I had a few others that I really liked, but Smoke and Shadows was the one that just made me reread a few sentences because I was just so caught by her wittiness and her, her, I mean, she's very caustic in some of the words that she says. Yeah. She uses. And it actually, it made me kind of like, oh my gosh, did she just say that? (laughs) (laughs) The the writer was so good. Uh, I really liked her bluntfulness and her sass. Exactly. So like the basic, the the basic story kind of revolves around her having this affair with this anthropologist and it was really into Buckwheat. Yeah. Who like all he ever wants to talk about is is this group of people that he studies like in Vietnam and how they, how they eat Buckwheat. (laughs) Yeah. And she kept complaining because he, he kept buying Buckwheat and she always thought he was buying terrible Buckwheat. Exactly. The Polish buckwheat. <laughs> yeah, not not like the quality Russian buck buckwheat. Yeah. But and he kept on trying to prepare it in all of these ways that um, you know, she was like, Why is he doing that? <laughs> yeah. It's it so awkward. The way she talks about him, it's like she's very attracted to him and even like goes back and forth about whether she loves him, but she can't figure out why. <laughs> yeah. I really like that. It's like, I think at the start she said the only qualities that he had was he has teeth and he has height. <laughs> I think that gives a pretty good idea, though, of like where she's coming from in this story. She This story was so funny to me, but also like it was sad, but it was really funny because, and I don't know if she meant it to be, but it was very funny. It was definitely very funny, yeah. And then she goes and she's convinced that um, Eric's wife is like hexing her with an evil eye and she goes she goes and like gets an amulet and starts wearing this amulet to dinner parties where the wife will be there <laughs> so, so she can ward off the evil eye it's like well how about you just stop going to the dinner party <laughs> the husband was such an annoying character but he seemed to be a very good representation of all men <laughs> <laughs> well interesting that you said that <laughs> He seemed more just like a prop, you know, for the story. He it was really about showing us this this woman and, and her her amazing like internal conversation. I almost want to read a section, a conversation they have, but I feel like it'll give too much of the book away or the well, story away. Yeah. Um, well, it might give people a little bit of a flavor. It, it, it's probably a good idea if you wanted to have like a short, uh, do a short piece of the book or the story. I don't know. I, I feel like there's just too much in the conversations they have that would give it probably too much away. <laughs> but yeah, basically the gist of it is 
she says, oh, I don't need to care because I'm going to leave soon and I'll forget all about you. And he gets all sad that she would leave and forget him. Exactly. Well, you'll fall out of love with me. And she's like, yeah, well, I'm leaving. So, yeah, I will. (laughs) Yeah. This was always going to come to an end. So deal with it. (laughs) I don't know. That just seems like the consummate way that a Russian would deal with something. You know, and be like, okay, this is it. (laughs) And, you know, trying to be romantic and being like, but I love you. And she's like, I got to (laughs) go. Yeah. Well, that story was great. Mm. Did you have some other favorites from the collection? I really liked the title story, Ethereal Worlds, as well. I did, too. There was a lot going on in there, but, like, there was the house, which was just a character on its own. Yeah, exactly. I figured this would be a favorite of yours because of all the nature. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> the, the nature qualities of this, but also I really like the descriptions of her work and her you know, she's she the person who is narrating who definitely seems like it's Tolstaya, but I don't know. I don't know if it was. Anyway, this this Russian woman comes to the U.S. and works in a university in New Jersey, which when you look at her biography, she also did. But she never says, you know, this is me and this happened to me. So maybe it's just this fictionalized account of her coming to the U.S. Anyway, so she buys this house that she falls in love with, but everybody else around her thinks that this is like a dump and it's falling down. But something about it she really loves. And the descriptions of the nature around the house, I really liked. So you're right. (laughs) I really did like that part. (laughs) Yeah, there was a lot going on. It was probably one of the longer stories. But I noticed there was a lot to do with writing and literature and even food that seemed to come through in that one. Yeah. Well, she talks a lot about her students in, you know, being a professor and like show promise. And then the ones who are, who are just like, don't care. And they don't even want to be there at school. And they're, they're giving her these horrible drafts of their stories. And she's like, what are you even trying to say? And they just don't care. So the few that are good stand out to her. Yeah, well, it sounds like normal life. <laughs> exactly. The the one thing that I really liked about this one too, though, was kind of her compare and contrast about how things are in Russia with like owning a house and building a house and various things like that, and then how they are in the U.S. And you know that gave a little an interesting little idea of the differences between just the infrastructure and everything too, because she she's trying to put a patio on this house that she buys and that she loves, and you know she talks about trying to do something like that in Russia would take months and months and months, and you you'd have to like pay off people and shady deals and all this kind of thing, and then you know she gets this contractor who just immediately comes to her house and builds this patio for her, and she's just amazed that it actually happened so quickly, and now she can sit out there and smoke her cigarettes <laughs> there's a lot, of, smoke. a lot of cigarettes <laughs> every single story has cigarettes in it did you remember did you notice that it seemed like it yeah <laughs> yeah that the story ended on a on a on a very sad note though that one that one definitely it had a few moments that were pretty humorous but this this one was a little bit more melancholy in nature yeah it's the rush of why i think so that's why I love Russian literature. I, I like to experience the drama and the angst from a distance. I can agree with you. I know what you mean. But I think that the uh, maybe it's the same angst or something that when it's turned to humor and like even like black humor. Oh, it was so funny in that other story that we talked about a moment ago. Yeah. Yeah. She does have really good comic timing with the 
dark humor, which is definitely my type of humor. Yeah. There was a few others that I really liked too, but the ones you mentioned, Smoke and Shadows and then the Ethereal Worlds were probably my favorites. I did like, um, there was one towards the end that was called The Window. Do you recall that? That was more, it was almost like a parable, the way it was kind of set up. Do you recall that one? Yeah, I do remember that one. I, yeah. I'm just looking at my notes. I didn't write much about that. That's the one where, you know, there's, these two guys are playing, you know, backgammon or something. And one yeah. of them looks around at his neighbor's house and he's just amazed at all of these material items that he has in his house. And he's like, where did you get all this stuff? You know, you're you're like the same class as me and yet you have all of this stuff in your house. And he tells him the secret about this window where if you just go to this window and wait, like someone will come out and offer something to you and then you have to say deal and then it's yours. It's like it's like it's a, <laughs> like a game show or something. Yeah. And, you know, the guy is like immediately into it. So he's like, well, I'm going to go do this. And, you know, in typical parable fashion, it's kind of like it turns out really good for a while. Like he he gets the first thing he gets is like flowers or something out of the window. And, and at first he's like, well, what am I going to do with this? But then he walks down the street and he sees this attractive woman and he gives her the yeah. flower. You know, things just go from there. And this person ends up being his wife. And, you know, they get married and everything. So it's like this window kind of brought him to his partner. But then... The, the the things start to go a yeah, little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Some of these are hard to talk about without actually spoiling. I know. Story. I don't want to spoil it, but I, I really, yeah. that story was a really interesting, almost like political and satire. Yeah. I think a lot of these stories just like playing with an idea and getting the reader to think about some of these experiences that are happening in Russia, like due to, with the sword is one that came to mind where this concept of lying in your diary because you're too afraid that people might read it and judge you. But so you end up lying to yourself in your own, what's meant to be like a personal. Yeah. Like your memories are altered. Yeah. Yeah. This collection, had I don't know, maybe about 20 or 15 or 20 stories. So it's a little hard to keep them all straight. Yeah. Like some of my notes, uh, very useless <laughs> like passing through i know what the story was about but all i wrote was where did all the socks go <laughs> yeah that's the one where the the um washing machine ate all the socks yeah, ate, yeah. you know kind of navel gazing about you know where does where does, how does this happen where does this go that one seems a little bit like a humor piece too yeah, and um, one of the longest stories, The Invisible Maiden, all I wrote was, rats hate French literature. <laughs> that seems like a good way to sort of distill the whole story into <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, basically at the start of the story, it's the rats used to go in and eat all the books. <laughs> there was another one that I liked, but I don't exactly know why I liked it, because it was pretty sad and weird. It was that nowhere... The one called Nowhere. Nowhere, and yeah. That woman yeah. who just goes and, and kind of leads this guy on and he invites her to his DACA and she goes all the way there and then never goes in and just like watches him from the window. Yeah. And then decides that she's just going to keep on watching him and goes and sleeps in the barn in like the hayloft and then just goes home and he never even knew that she was there, but she's just been watching him and creeping all night. <laughs> Yeah, something I wrote for that one is a uh, perfect reflection of young romance. 
one more committed than the other. Exactly. Yeah, because it starts with the reflection because it's like she almost didn't even remember this happening until, you know, she sees a headline in a, in, a, in a newspaper or something like that that reminds her of this person. And she kind of walks down memory lane and, and tells this story about, you know, how she sat outside the whole night. <laughs> Are there any others you want to talk about? I really like the one more that I liked that was almost a little bit more of a satire or an essay was the one called Without. And it was about it was about Italy. And what if there was I I did like that one. I thought it I thought it was a nice point about, you know, how much our culture and how much basically the whole Western world is based on Italian history. In specifically yeah. Rome. You want to know Italy. What if it simply never existed? No such geographical configuration in the shape of a boot. <laughs> and then she just goes on from there for several pages about, you know, what if there was no pizza? What if there was no leaning tower? I liked that one. It, it was a very much like a thought experiment kind of piece, but I, I liked yeah. I liked some of her phrasing in that one. Another one that I thought was pretty good was Doors and Demons, which was about Paris. Yeah, yeah. But my notes basically says Dostoevsky's muse likes tea more than I do. (laughs) Your your notes are very descriptive. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think they help me, but I'm not very good at taking notes. I'm not good at annotating either, which doesn't really help. Well, I feel like this this book had it just had so much in it, and you got to see a lot of her style um, with this larger theme, you know, of these ethereal worlds. I think you're kind of left with this idea of what what was real and what wasn't, you know, just this ethereal idea. And maybe that's the whole thing. Like you're trying to figure out whether she's telling the story or someone else is. So this amorphous kind of thing is is what she's going for. Yeah, definitely did that really well. Are there books like this? Because I can't think of anything similar. I can't either. And I think that's why it was a standout book for me this year is because I've never read anything like it. Yeah. Like I I love short stories to get that kind of overview of someone's writing styles and just to experience them in little snippets. Yeah. It definitely makes me want to read more from her. And it was a good introduction to this author. I agree. Well, and you know, it was something that other people recognized too because it was – nominated for several awards yeah it was long listed for the national book award translation prize mm-hmm. the so first prize they've added in a long time yeah so it definitely made it something that i think it became more on people's radar when they saw that yeah i think they added this collection and a non-fiction one just to give them the recognition because putting a short story collection and a non-fiction book up against fiction is very difficult to judge well it's i mean they don't do that in any other category so you know translations they put all this stuff in it's like a bucket category for things where you know they wouldn't be in there in any any other way a non-fiction or a short story would be in a different place yeah it always felt like they were never going to make the short list that was just here check these books out we like them yeah well that works for me i mean i i read yeah. the book before the long list came out but um i was very happy to see it on the long list because that meant it was going to get you know more recognition and more people would know about it yeah i had her on my wish list for a long time not this book but the slings but it definitely made me prioritize her which is always a good thing definitely <laughs> So are there any books you would 
recommend in addition to this one? Well, this was definitely one of the standouts from this year in terms of the translations that I've read. Um, yeah. There was another one that you and I both read, and I think we both enjoyed it. Another another women in translation book was um, Convenience Store Woman. Ah, yeah, that was a great one. That was that was another one of my favorites that I've read in terms of translation. And that that one's yeah. actually got you know that one's pretty. Um, I've seen a lot of yeah. people posting about it, but that's uh, a Japanese author, Sayaka Murata. The book is really interesting, and it has a lot of subtext in it. <laughs> A lot of it is a, yeah, I think it's one of those books I would love to do on this podcast one time because I think there's a lot to talk about. I agree. Yeah, it was but, definitely a for this year. Yeah, it's not one that I was trying to push to get on the podcast because it has been getting a lot of attention mm-hmm. and I wanted to maybe um, talk about books that weren't getting as much attention. I agree. No, I, I, I admire that. Yeah, we'll start in a podcast and doing something like maybe The Vegetarian or convenience store woman or mm-hmm. my brilliant friend or my struggle mm-hmm. would probably not be the best way to. <laughs> yeah, you know, like passing passing mention because people are more familiar with those. People who are into reading and into literature are familiar with those. But in the same way, they're, they're a gateway drug. <laughs> they are. They are. Really, I know a lot of people who who read The Vegetarian, who are now like super into Asian literature or, you know, Korean literature specifically. Oh, yeah. Korean literature has been taking off a lot this year, I've seen. It has, yeah. Ever since yeah. The Vegetarian one. I think there's just more and more being translated because I think the books have been out. It's yeah. just, you yeah. Know, yeah. I, I think it has been. It's the, probably the new trend because The Vegetarian one, it's publishers are trying to put out more of Korean literature. And obviously they take a while to get translated, so Mm -hmm. publishing moves slowly. Several that have come out. But I I think we should wrap this one up. Sounds good. If people want to follow you on Instagram, they can find you at EndNotes, is that correct? Yeah, it's uh, at end period notes. Yes, but you prefer footnotes. (laughs) Well, in terms of what I'm reading in the text, yes, I prefer for footnotes yeah well i i do appreciate when people are referencing their what <laughs> and on goodreads i'm lauren w ed notes was taken on goodreads i started i started my goodreads many many years ago oh uh, yeah i was able to just get in there with my real name i mean i guess i could have i could have used end notes but i don't want to change it now I've been there a lot yeah. longer on Goodreads than I was on Instagram. That's fair <laughs> enough. And I will link, link both of those in the show notes so people can find you. Great. But thank Great. you for agreeing to be a part of this. Yeah, thank you, Michael, for having me. This was fun. And I'll stop bugging you to come again in the future. Not a bug at all. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to support Lost in Translations, please go to patreon.com forward slash translations pod and all money there will help support the show. And please remember to subscribe and while subscribing, please rate the show. This will help others find the podcast. All our links to social media are in the show notes and you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and Litzy under Translations Pod. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Walgarukabar and Bindal people. We acknowledge their ownership of this land and all the traditional owners in Australia and acknowledge their care of the land. This is a Macaulay Flower production. <laughs> <laughs>